The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. So this morning, we're going to look at two aspects of idolatry, all right? For thousands of years, idolatry was something that was relegated to ancient pagans. That was, idolatry would be where someone would take a rock or a stone and they would begin to worship that rock. They would begin to worship that stone. They would begin to sacrifice to it. They, were, they would be involved in certain rituals to appease that particular god, to earn the favor or the blessing of that god. And then as society developed, there came a moment where now they became... It wasn't just rocks and trees. Now they would begin to sculpt these idols out of gold and out of silver and out of precious stones. And and then we've evolved even more to now we find what happened in Ezekiel chapter number 14 and verse 3. And I want you to get this. Because it went from uh, worshiping rocks and trees to worshiping things that people had made with their hands, statues and idols. We get to Ezekiel chapter number 14 and verse number 3 and here's what the Bible says. Son of man, these men have set up their idols, notice this, in their hearts. You see, there's a progression of idolatry that has taken place over history. It started where people would worship a rock, they'd worship a tree, they'd worship some part of creation, and then they got a little more sophisticated, and now they're worshiping something that they had made with their hands. They've worshiped a a, a statue, they're worshiping an idol, until now we find ourselves in the dispensation that Ezekiel found himself in, where we're a little more sophisticated. The idols that we worship, the idols that we sacrifice to, the idols that we perform rituals, for are idols that we have created in our own hearts. So we're going to begin today by defining idolatry. Let's just start right there, and I'm going to hit this thing from a lot of different angles. So I'm, my prayer is that when we walk away, we'll have a firm understanding of really what is idolatry, okay? What, what is it? How do we define it? Because I'll be honest, there are some folks, maybe even in this room, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't have an idolatry issue, I don't worship idols, and yet if you understood the biblical definition of what idol worship actually was, of what idolatry actually is, then the Holy Spirit would begin to reveal to you, maybe I have an idolatry issue as well. So let's define it. In the Hebrew, it's the word teraphim, idolatry, it's a noun. Idolatry is seeking after anything smaller than Jesus which is anything, (laughs) to give you what only Christ can give you. Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 25 unpacks this idea where the Bible says they changed the truth of God into a lie. How did they turn this truth into a lie? And worshipped and served, get this, the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Notice that little word in there, more. There are some Christians, maybe even here in this service today, and you worship God. You worship the true and living God. You worship him in spirit. You worship him in truth. But the reality is, if we could pull back the curtain of your heart, if we could peel back the layers that exist in your soul, we would find that there is something that you worship more. Part of the creation that you worship more than the creator. You worship the creator. You're in church. You worship the creator. You sang the songs. 
You worship the creator, you'll give an offering. You worship the creator in your gratitude and in your thanksgiving and in your praise. But if we were to really see what was happening in your heart, we would find that there is something that you worship just a little bit more. Part of the creation, whether it's a creation of God like the stones and the mountains and the trees that pagans used to worship in days gone by, or something that you've crafted out of gold or silver, or maybe you're very sophisticated and your idols are creations of your heart. Idolatry is an attempt to get from the creation what we were only ever meant to get from the creator. There are some individuals here, and I have found myself at this place several times in my Christian journey, where I was seeking for the creation to give me what only the creator could give. You see, an idol is anything that we seek a sense of significance from. If we're, if we're trying to find significance in it, if we're trying to find satisfaction in it, if we're trying to find a sense of security in it, if we're trying to find a sense of status in it, it's, it may be that that thing is becoming an idol of your heart. It might be that you're here today and, and you look for security at your job and in your career. You look for satisfaction in your marriage and in your family. You, you look for significance in your achievement and your success. And I want to say this. If you're looking to the creation rather than the creator to give you what only he can give you in reality, that thing is beginning to morph into an idol of the heart. An idol is anything that we try to secure a sense of worth from. It's anything that we try to get value from. It's anything that we, we look to, that we focus on, so that we can feel just a little bit more important, so we can feel like our life matters just a, a little bit more. When we look to that creation, rather than the creator of all things, we're teetering on idolatry. An idol is anything we look to to bring us a sense of peace, anything we look to to bring us confidence, anything we look to for hope other than Jesus. See, if, you, if, you're, if you're here and there's a part of your heart that finds its security in your 401k, and you're finding your hope in your career, that it's going to give you something that your soul longs for, that thing might be becoming an idol to you. An idol is anything or anyone that you conclude in your heart you must have in order for your life to be meaningful, valuable, secure, exciting, or free. When you get to the place and, and you take something, not the creator, not God, but one of his creations or one of your creations, and you say, I need this, I need that, I need those things if I'm going to feel meaningful, if my life's going to be matter, if it's going to be exciting. If, if you look to anything other than God to give you that sense, then that thing is becoming an idol of the heart. Now, now, now get this, this and I got, I got to say this because I want to shore this thing up. Idols are not usually wrong things. The things that we allow to become idols in our life, nine times out of ten, they are not bad, sinful things at all. 
We're not really talking about sin. Now, there are some sins that can become idols. I I get that. But I'm going to say this. In this room, this church crowd, most of the idols that I would struggle with and most of the idols you struggle with are not bad things. They're not sinful things. They're not wrong things. Now, get this. In fact, the greater the good, the greater good they are, the easier it is to expect that they can satisfy our deepest needs for hope and significance. Thus turning these good things into supreme things. This is why more often than not, it is the good things in our lives that become the God things in our lives. We allow these good things to take a place of authority in our lives. We allow these good things to become that thing that dictates our schedules, dictates our priorities, dictates our spending, dictates our lifestyle because we allow a good thing because we believe that maybe it can, maybe it will give me what my heart longs for. And all of a sudden, those good things become God things. And when a good thing becomes a God thing, you're an idolatry. You're worshiping the creation more than the creator. Anything that becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning of life, and identity is by definition an idol. If you're like, I've got to have this thing, I've got to have that person, I've got to have these experiences, or I can't be satisfied. I can't be, I can't be, I can't be totally, I can't feel significant without this. That area is an area that's becoming an idol. See, an idol is anything that trumps God's authority in your life. So, when God says in his word how you should schedule your life... And God says, this is how I want you to schedule your life. And there is something else in your life that trumps that command. God says, this is what I want you to do. And there's that other thing. That, whether, and it can, be a, it can be a plethora of things. We won't get into that right now. But if there's anything else and it trumps that command of what, what you need to do with an idol, then that thing has become an idol in your life. If God says there's a certain way in which you're to spend your resources, time, talent, treasure, and God says this is how I want you to spend it, this is my authority, this is what I say, and you allow something else to trump God's authority, that whatever that something else is, has become an idol. And can I say this? Anything, anything can be hammered into an idol. A God alternative, a counterfeit God. Uh, One theologian that I was reading said it this way, our hearts are idol-making factories. This is why we struggle with it so bad. Because whether we realize it or not, our hearts yearn for the creation so much more than it yearns for the creator. You say, what can be hammered into a God, an idol of the heart? I'll just start, let me just start naming some things off. Possessions can very easily become idols in our lives. Good things, a home, a vehicle, a boat, 
a recreational toy, not bad things, good things in their proper places, wonderful things. In fact, the Bible says God giveth us all things richly to enjoy. These aren't wicked things. They're not sinful things. They're possessions. But at the point where that possession now gets authority and trumps the authority of God, and now that thing dictates our schedule, and that thing dictates kind of our our spending, and that thing dictates what God says to do, that thing is becoming an idol in our lives. Can I say this for, for a lot of men, ladies as well, our careers can become an idol. Now, regardless of whether you're in, um, you have a ministry career or whether you have what some might refer to as a more secular career, careers can become an idol. We look to our careers to give us a sense of meaning and a sense of value and a sense of significance and we find our identity in that. You say, how do you know that? Because sometimes people ask, uh, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you do? What are you? How many of you have been kind of in social situations that ask, what are, what are you? And the first thing you say, well, I'm a, I'm a plumber. I'm a teacher. I'm a pastor. It becomes so core to our identity. And oftentimes, our careers become idols. Uh, for some, food has become an idol. Now, how many of you would agree food is probably a good thing? <laughs> probably not sin. But let me say this, for some, food has become an idol. What we look to 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 make us feel better when times are bad, rather than looking to God for refuge and for comfort, we go to that food, and that food quickly, that good thing becomes a God thing. It dictates us, our lives. Here's another one that happens in a lot of church world. Preferences and traditions become idols to a lot of church-going people. That is, we all have preferences and different things in religious realms. We have our traditions that we like. They're not necessarily necessarily in Scripture. They're just the way we do certain things. I have seen this in people's lives where traditions, not bad things. In fact, a lot of our traditions are very good. They have, they have purpose. But we have our religious preferences. We have our traditions. And I've seen many people take those good traditions, those good preferences... And allow them to elevate to a place of authority in their lives above what God's word actually says. And so they allow their preferences and their traditions now to dictate what they do, even above what this book says. Traditions, religious preferences, uh, money. It's probably one of the biggest of them all. (laughs) Becoming an idol. Money is a good thing. It's to be our servant We're to use it to glorify God with, but how many individuals have allowed money to become their master, not their servant? Dictating how they'll live, how they'll spend their time, how they'll do what they do, money. Uh, For some people, it's romantic love. Your quest for romance, and maybe for for those of you, maybe, maybe you're single, and that quest for that romantic love, that romance, not in and of itself a bad thing, not a wrong desire, a God-given desire, but now you've given it such authority that you've allowed that quest for romantic love to push you outside the bounds of God's authority in your life, thus making it not just a good thing. You've allowed it to become a God thing, in turn making it an idol. Uh, for some, it's sport teams. 
You say sports teams. Sports are not bad. Football's great. Man, football, baseball, basketball. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with sports. There's there's nothing sinful. But I'm going to say this. For some, it becomes such a high priority in their lives where now all of a sudden a football game will have more priority over someone's schedule than God's word. And they'll allow their love for sports to affect arenas of their life beyond the bounds of what God's word has to say. It becomes a bigger authority than God. For some of us, it's, a, it's politics. We look to politics. There's this politi- political candidate, and they're going to save us. They're going to rescue us. They're going to make everything better. No. <laughs> Our hope is Jesus. Now, let's be honest. Let's, let, let's make sure we vote responsibly. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying just throw your hands up and be passive. That's not my point at all. But at the point where that, that political agenda is your functional savior, like if you could just fix this about the economy and fix that about the nation, then everything would be better. And ever, I would feel more secure and I, I would feel more safe. And you're, you're looking to a creation rather than cr- the creator. Nothing wrong with pursuing politics. Nothing wrong with looking and, and voting responsibly and, and, and being what we need to be as good citizens. That's not what I'm saying. But when in your heart you look to that thing to give you what really only Christ can give you. You're teetering now on allowing that political candidate, that political platform, that political whatever to be your functional Messiah, your idol. It's idolatry. For some of us, it's achievement. It's just success. We're on this, we're on this maddening journey just to be more successful, just to achieve more for the sake of just achieving more. Because it feeds our ego. Because it feeds how we feel. It it feeds how people perceive us and how they look at us and how they view us. And so all of a sudden, it's just that quest for that next rung on the ladder. Kissing the feet of the people above us. Kicking the faces of the people below us. Why? We are on a quest. And that achievement, that success, in and of itself is not wrong. Ambition in its right place can be a healthy thing. But once it has more authority in your life than the morals stated out in God's word, it's becoming an idol. You know, for others, it's health and fitness. I think we should probably take care of our physical bodies. I think it's probably a good thing to take care of our temples. There are individuals and their body has become their idol. You say, mine's a Buddha. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there, it happens. You go to the gym, and there's these people hour after hour. <laughs> they don't have time for their children. <laughs> They're taking care of their body. Probably should be taking their wife out on a date, and instead they're trying to impress all the other ladies in the gym. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, Okay. But do you understand how really most of the time it's good things that become God things? It's, it's not usually bad, wicked things that we get, that become idolatry, idolatristic. And this is why it's so pervasive in the church. In fact, the church really, really struggles with idolatry. We do. I do. You do. And my hope is 
that the Spirit of God will begin to pull off the lenses and reveal to your heart where you are in danger of idolatry and where you have the potential of making something an idol. This is going to be a rough one. Some of you are actually, you're going to really bristle against this. And, and we might even preach a whole sermon on this, and this is probably the one that's going to get me in the most trouble. Your family can become an idol. Your family is one of the greatest gifts God will ever give you. For some of you, your children. It's the greatest, one of the most beautiful gifts that God bestows to his creation. And yet there comes moments when you allow your family such a, you look to your spouse, you look to your children to give you something internally, to make you feel something internally, to give you a sense of worth, a sense of value, a sense of meaning, a sense of significance, and you are looking to a spouse, you're looking to a child, you're looking to marital success to give you those emotions, to give you a feeling that was really something that you need to look to Christ for. Now, believe me, I'm not preaching a doctrine of family neglect. I don't think most people struggle with this. I'll just throw that out there. In fact, probably most people struggle. On the other hand, they probably neglect their families too much, just for whatever that's worth. However, there are Christians in the name of family who've allowed their family schedule, their family priorities, their family values to trump the values of that book. Now, I'm going to say this. You stick with that book, your family will be okay. God, God will take care of your family. God will take care of your marriage. I mean this. God's not going to destroy you. He's not going to destroy your family. He's not going to destroy marriage. God loves you. He might just know what your family actually needs more than you do. He might be aware of what your marriage needs more than you do. Uh, For some people, beauty has become their idol, their pursuit of beauty. How many of you have ever seen one of these television shows where, where somebody's had like, you know, 50 plastic surgeries? They don't even look human in their quest for that beauty to make them feel a certain way. Um, here's another one that probably most of us don't think of, but in among Christians, worthy causes often become idols. Can I say this? Feeding the hungry is a wonderful thing. Community service, we're big on that. Man, we're, we're looking for opportunities. There are times where even good causes become idols. Where we look at, if I just get more and more involved in this cause, and I just do more for these people, more for those people, then eventually they'll recognize it. Eventually I'll get a feeling of significance. Eventually it'll make me feel better. And and, and we do it in our pursuit for a feeling of significance. We do it in a pursuit of maybe trying to appease God somehow. And, And rather than looking to the creator, we look to some creation as something even as noble as a worthy cause. And it's not long before that worthy cause becomes an idol in our lives. Worship preferences often become idols in the lives of churches. I I prefer this type of music. I prefer that type of music. I have seen people on both sides of of the line turn their worship preference into an idol on both sides. They allow their preference 
to dictate what they will and will not do. And in doing so, give their preference and authority above what even God's word has to say. Christians turning their worship preferences into idols. Thinking that somehow if I worship this way, it'll give me a feeling, it'll give me an emotion, it'll provide me something, it'll, it'll give me a sense of superiority, it'll give me this, it'll give me that. And they look to those things rather than the creator, rather than the authority found in the word of God. Hobbies become idols. Um, this is kind of new, but social media has become idols to many people. <laughs> Trying to express themselves online, get a feeling of significance, get a feeling of that. And, and social media has become an idol to them. Now, if you're here today, and I'm not trying to be mean by this, but you, maybe, maybe you're over 65 years old. That one just totally confuses you to death. <laughs> you're like, what in the world? What is a, what is a Facebook? <laughs> Here's my point. I could go on for the rest of the service because any good thing can become a God thing. If we look to that rather than the creator to give us what only Christ can give us. Can I say this? Idol worship is not just about golden calves anymore. It's about our sports teams. It's about our shopping addictions. It's about our social media. It's about our careers. It's about this pursuit of this and that. All of these things, good, good, good things in their proper place, in their proper priority, with a proper heart toward them. In and of themselves, probably none of them intrinsically bad. But this is why each and every one of us on our own have to ask the Holy Spirit of God, God, is this thing becoming an idol to me? Now, how many of you, maybe, I'm going to do the illustration real quick. What, say you're really coughing and, and the sickness has been going around a little bit and people are coughing here and coughing there. And so you, you go to the doctor and you're saying, doctor, I, I got this horrible cough. I can't stop hacking. I can't stop coughing. I'm not able to do my job. I mean, it just, I just can't. I'm just coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing. And you're just convinced. And so the doctor says, I'm going to do some tests. And he finds out as he does his test and he's in his office, he sees that you have lung cancer. But say for a moment, the doctor says, man, that, that would really be a downer. <laughs> that would really discourage this person. So he decides, I'm just going to give them some decongestant, <laughs> some cough medicine, and send them on their way. How many of you would say, that wouldn't be right? <laughs> Lung cancer and all you're going to do is treat the cough. Now, let me say this. As a pastor, and I've been a pastor now for about 11 years, People will come into my office, or we'll just talk casually, and they'll start, prescribe, they'll start communicating to me. They, they'll say, Pastor, I got this cough. It's in my marriage. It's at my work. I got this thing with my kids. And, I, and they're like absolutely convinced. It's all about the cough. They've got a cough, and, and they want me to maybe show them a little something from the Bible that'll fix their cough. And, and then you start to diagnose it from a pastor's perspective, and I start to look at it through the lens of God's word, and, and, it, and I'm like, wait a second, there's something more here than just a cough. Something deeper. This is what I'm trying to do this morning. Some of you have some issues in your marriage, and you have some issues at your work, and you have some issues in your finances, and you think you have a cough, and I'm here to say it's something bigger, it's something deeper. You got spiritual cancer. 
And idolatry is not just an issue. Idolatry is the issue. It's not just a problem. It is the problem. At the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. Um, so let me answer this question. Why are idols unhealthy? Let's just, let's just talk about this for just a minute. Why are idols unhealthy? Like, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, okay, I got some idols. Okay, pastor, well, you got me. <laughs> I, got, I got some idols. They're there and, well, you know, what, what's one going to do? Hey, none of us are perfect, right? Yeah, that's true. But just like the pagan idols of ancient times that would demand that you sacrifice to them if you wanted to appease their blessing, just like the ancient uh, pagan gods of days gone by would demand that you perform certain rituals if you were going to achieve their favor, so the idols of the heart do the same thing. You see, every one of the idols that I just described a moment ago, every one of them demand sacrifice. And depending on what the idol is, if it's the idol of shopping, if it's the idol of romantic love, if it's the idol of addiction, if it's the idol of whatever, what, you name it on the list, every one of those idols have corresponding sacrifices that must be made if you are going to appease their favor. Not only do they have sacrifices... But all of them ask you to perform certain rituals. And depending on what it is, the rituals are different. I mean, if the idolatry is sports, then the ritual may involve going to their temple and worshiping there. And like I said, be careful with this, because I'm not saying everybody who goes to a football game is worshiping. That's not what I'm trying to communicate. Don't be immature and take this thing to an extreme. I'm just saying it does happen. If your idolatry is shopping, then the sacrifices you made is, is with a little credit card that says American Express on it. And the rituals are the sales. <laughs> you have to perform these rituals every Friday evening. <laughs> and and the, the big worship time, the day after Thanksgiving. That's, 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 when, when, that's when the crowds go to worship. Now, you say, Pastor, are you saying if I went to Black Friday, then I'm a pagan? No, please, please. I'm not saying that. But I might be. And that's for you and the Holy Spirit to work through. I've seen some men in their quest for achievement and success willingly offer their children as a sacrifice not not at a fire with a pagan idol burning them at some stake but they sacrifice their children for their pursuit of achievement I've seen women in their pursuit of their idolatry sacrifice their marriages they're sacrificing to this thing so much they have no time to invest in their marriage anymore. You see, every one of these idols demands sacrifices. And they say, if you, if you just, <laughs> let's go back to the shopping analogy, you just buy a little more, it'll make you feel better. 
It'll bring you significance. It'll bring you satisfaction. Just one more pair of shoes is all it'll take. Just one more. Here's, here's what I'm trying to point out. I'm not saying that anybody who goes to Walmart is a pagan idolater or anybody who takes, takes a bite of a brownie is in sin. But what I am saying is this. When some good thing trumps the authority of God, it has become a God thing and you are in danger of idolatry and the consequences of idolatry are not ones you want to live with. That's what I'm saying. The sacrifices are too high. The rituals are too big to harming, oftentimes physically, harming you emotionally, telling you all along, and these idols will tell you if you just sacrifice one more time, it'll all be better. If you just perform this ritual just one more time, I'll give you a sense of significance. If you just reach that next rung of the ladder, you're going to feel awesome. If you just buy that next car, you'll feel amazing, and it, it tells you, it'll offer you these things, but here's what's Here's what's up with these idols. All their promises are empty. You get that thing that you thought you always wanted. And it just doesn't feel the way you thought it was going to feel. So there, your God says, oh, oh, oh. Just one more sacrifice. Oh, oh, oh. That, I know, I know. Just one more ritual. Oh, oh, oh. Just one, just one more. And before long, you have spent your entire life in pursuit of something that cannot satisfy because it is a God a God with no hands that can touch it's an idol a God with ears that cannot hear a God with mouths that cannot speak a God that might have a heart emblazoned onto its stone but does not have a heart that can feel the affirmities of what you go through. You see, these gods are false gods. They're false idols that cannot deliver on their promises. But you see, God's different. The true and living God, oh, though we will serve and though we will sacrifice and though we will, if we want to call it, perform rituals at his feet. Because he is true and because he is living and because he is real, he always replenishes the heart of the worshiper. It was C.S. Lewis. How many of you, some of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia? He was somewhat of a theologian and he said this about idolatry. Idols always end up crushing the hearts of their worshipers. Idols always end up crushing the hearts of their worshipers. And this is why, as your pastor, I want to wave the red flag. I've seen what it's done in my heart. I've seen what it's done in hearts of people in our church. I've seen what it's done in hearts of people outside of our churches. I want to say this. We, we have idol issues. And it's crushing our hearts. It's destroying our lives. It's demanding sacrifices that God would never demand of us. You show me an addict and they're sacrificing their physical body. I've seen addicts sacrificing their very teeth, sacrificing their very physical being for that, that next light up. So they can perform that next ritual. They can get involved that next time. Defining idolatry. Idolatry of the heart always ends up crushing the hearts of their worshipers. Now, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Okay? 
So we're defining idolatry. Hopefully everybody kind of has an idea of what, what idolatry looks like. I want you to move on to number two here. First John chapter number five, verse 21, if you see that in your notes or if you want to turn there in your Bible, here's what it says. John is seeing this happen in these churches. This was not just something that happens in the 21st century. This was happening in the first century. This idolatry of the heart, turning all these good things into God things was creeping into the church very early on. And so the apostle John stands up. He sees this happening in the churches. He sees this happening in the lives of the believers. They once had gods, pagan gods that they worship there at the temples on the mountains. They were gods of idols. They were gods of stone. They were gods of silver. Now they've become Christians. They've become believers. And now they're making idols in their hearts. They're turning these good things that God has given them. They're turning the good things that God has blessed them with. They're taking the good things that God has showered down upon them. And they've taken these good things. And they're allowing it authority and power over God. And these good things become God things. And so the apostle John says this. He says, little children. He says, those who I've seen saved. Those who have come to Christ. You that have not say very long he says this keep yourself from idols let's continue this morning we defined idolatry we're going to end it here with diagnosing idolatry uh, idolatry this is where it starts getting painful okay how do we know now um How do we know if we're in danger of making a good thing into an idol? How do we know if we have things that have the potential of becoming idols in our lives? Remember, anything can become an idol. So be careful not to allow the good things in your life to become the supreme things in your life. Uh, Imagine for a moment, there's a stream. Some of you have been up uh, maybe around Dinky Creek or to Shaver Lake, and maybe you've done some fishing in some of the rivers up there. Imagine you came to your favorite fishing hole up there, and all of a sudden you notice that all this trash and all this garbage and all this muck and grime is in your very favorite fishing hole. And so you say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to clean this thing up. And so you spend the entire afternoon, rather than fishing, rather than trying to catch the next big one, you're in that stream and you're pulling out all the dirt and the cans and the bags and everything that, all that dirt and all that garbage that has come down the stream, you clear it up and it's looking good. You think, whew, this is great. So you go home and the next day you come back and it's all there again. You spent the entire day before cleaning it up and now it's there. And you do the same thing again, you clean it all up, you leave, the next day you come back and it's all, all back. Finally, you think to yourself, you know what, I'm going to hike this stream, I'm going to see what's happening. You go upstream and you find that a couple miles upstream, there, there's literally, there, there's this place where they're dumping all this garbage. The garbage is falling into the stream and running down. And you realize that the real problem wasn't just what was happening in your little pond, the real, the real problem was upstream. And I'm going to say this, some of you are trying to deal with some things in your life that have swept downstream into your little pond. And so every, you're, you're all, you're, you'll like come down to the altar and you're praying, I got to get rid of this garbage, I got to get rid of that, I got to get rid of these things. And you clean it up and like literally within a day or two, it's all back. And you've done this week after week, month after month, year after year, and you're getting discouraged. You're getting disillusioned as a Christian. And some of you are on the verge of just giving up on this thing completely because you're like, it doesn't work. Every day I go down to my little pond thinking my life's going to be a little bit better and you think you get there and it's just the same junk kind of sweeping back down there again and you're like, you're just getting tired, you're getting disillusioned, you're getting discouraged and you're just about saying, you know, I'm, I'm done with this and I'm, I'm here to say, you, say to you this, there's probably some things upstream in the, in the upstream of your heart. You're, you're trying to deal here with just the, just the symptoms you're not getting to the heart. You're not going upstream to deal with the heart of it. And here's what we're going to do for a moment. We're going to go upstream. 
We're not going to ask ourselves, what are the symptoms? I know you have symptoms in your marriage, and I know you have symptoms maybe in your finances, and, and maybe you have some symptoms in the way you're dealing with your children, and maybe you have symptoms at work, and yet you can try and try and try and try and try all day until you're dealing with all of these symptoms. And I want to say to you, until you get to the heart of the issue, you're going to always have those things. This isn't God's fault. This is the fault of the gods that you have allowed to be developed in your heart. So let me give you a couple questions here that we can look, okay? Now, let me say this. These questions may not reveal where you're idol worshiping, but these questions help me. They help me to kind of diagnose where are some areas that maybe I'm struggling with idolatry or at least have the potential of having an area become an idolatry. Here's some questions I want you to ask yourself, all right? You can write them down. They might be on the screens as well. I want you to ask yourself this question. What do I tend to worry about most of the time? Okay, what do I tend to worry about most of the time? Whatever worries you has the potential of becoming an idol in your life. It could be that you, you, I'm always worrying, and you try to clean up the worry, and you surrender that worry to the Lord, and you say, God, I'm never going to worry again, and then like two weeks later, you're worrying again. Can I say this? As you walk, take the hike upstream in your life, you might find that you have a deep need to be in control of everything. You're a control freak. That's the heart issue. And that's why you worry all the time, because you hate not being in control. And so you try to deal with the, the symptoms. You're trying to, i got to stop worrying. i got to give this worry to the Lord and just let God take it. Until you deal with the heart issue that might in your... I'm not saying for everybody who worries that's your heart situation, but I'm just, giving you, I'm just helping you understand this process. It might be that you're a control freak. And you're not letting God be God because you want to be God. Okay? I'm just trying to help us to see how this process works, all right? So if you worry here today, I'm not just ju- I'm not caught, I'm not saying you're a control freak. I'm just saying that's kind of it could it could be that. Let me just say this in love: you could be a control freak. <laughs> okay, here's the second question: What do I make financial sacrifices for? The Bible says this: wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Get out your checkbook ledger, give it to a friend, and say to them, "What would you say is important to my life?" If you were to give your checkbook ledger to your friend, would they say, what would they say is important? What would they find? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, what, what you spend your money on, you tend to prioritize. Number three, what do I tend to prioritize in my life? What, what always, whenever this thing comes up, whether it's a sporting event or whether it's a concert or whether it's this hobby or this opportunity, you, whenever it comes up, it like trumps everything else. Whatever you, you consistently prioritize in your life. You say, I'm a workaholic. You always, you just, pri- whenever you have an opportunity for uh, uh, overtime, you take it. It may be that as you move upstream, you might be materialistic. You're like, All right, you, you promise your wife, I'm not going to work this many hours. I promise, I'm not going to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the box, I'm going to work these things out. Just give me three more months. Three more months, I'm going to take care of this thing completely. And you're like, this, this is it, you know? And, uh, but... The reason it doesn't work is because uh, you're materialistic. <laughs> and the only way you can keep buying your stuff and paying for your stuff is by working. Maybe you don't have a work problem. Maybe you have a heart problem. A materialism problem. Uh, it might not be that you're materialistic. You, you, ju- you might just be a perfectionist. You've got to do everything just perfect because you, you, the way people perceive you is seen by your work. And I think that's a good thing. I think you should have a good reputation. But there comes a point when you start sacrificing your family just so your boss thinks well of you, you've got priority issues. You might have an idol there. Here's another question. What disappoints me? 
what disappoints me. When we feel overwhelmed with disappointment, there's a good chance that something has become far too important to us than it should be. When you find in your heart something has disappointed you, my team lost, and there's like this disproportionate discouragement. And I understand, hey, your team's going to lose this, that's going to happen. But like, I mean, you, like, it's, just, it's, like, it's like extreme. Uh, I, I literally, and I, I, I literally dealt with a gentleman one time in, in counseling, had a, had a sports idolatry, and he admitted it. I mean, just flat out admitted it. It would ruin his week. And praise God, he's getting victory over it. And he would be the first one to say, I had an issue. I had a problem. I mean, literally, it, it changed the whole, his whole week was dictated by how his team did on Sunday. He knew he had a problem when I got a call from his parents that he had purchased a gun because his team didn't win the championship. He's on the verge of taking his life. There was an idolatry issue. Obviously an extreme case. Praise God, we're getting victory over that. So I know this stuff to you and your world seems extreme. I'm just saying this is stuff I deal with. It's stuff I work through. It's stuff you say, well, praise the God, praise the Lord, I'm not there. I'm, praise the Lord, you're not there either. Edwin Lutzer said this, extreme disappointments are God's way of reminding us that there are idols in our lives that must be dealt with. Ask yourself, what did I get extremely disappointed about this week? And ask yourself, what's the root issue of that? Why was my heart getting disappointed in that? And you might find upstream idols. Here's, here's, a, here's a, this is a great one. What do I complain about most? What do I, ask your spouse this. Say, honey. What do I complain about the most? If you're constantly complaining about your financial situation, it might be. I'm not saying it is. It might be that money has become too important to you. might be. You're always complaining about money. Um, If you're constantly whining at your spouse about your sex life, it might be in that situation the pleasure of that God of pleasure has become an idol in your life. If you're constantly complaining about the lack of respect that you get from your coworkers at your office, then maybe what other people think of you matters more than what God thinks of you. Maybe how people look at you is becoming an idol. If you're constantly complaining about what kind of team your what kind of year your team is having, maybe sports is becoming your idol. See, what we complain about reveals what really matters to us most. Whining shows us what has power over us. Complaining in many ways is the opposite of worshiping God. Worshiping God is all about absorbing ourselves in who God is and what he's done for us. Whining is forgetting who God is and not caring what he's done for us. It's the opposite of worship. Here's another question. This This is deep, so you have to think about this. What... If I were to lose it, would make me extremely discouraged. What, if I were to lose it, would make me extremely discouraged? Maybe even to the point of making you feel like life isn't worth living. Answer that question, you might reveal another idol. Can I say this? Job in the Bible, he lost everything. He lost his health. He lost his children. He, in all practical ways, I would say he lost his marriage in the sense of, he definitely lost a good marriage. 
lost his job. He lost his money. He lost his income. He lost his reputation. In all practical cases, he lost everything. But Job still, I love what the Bible says, that in all these things he sinned not and worshipped God continually. What if you were to lose it? You say, if I were to lose this person, this relationship, if I were to lose this thing, then I would just get it. It might reveal that you have an idol. It might be that family has become idol. It might be that money has become idol. Here's a, here's a simple one, guys. What do you catch yourself bragging about? What do you brag about? Well, <laughs> you, you brag about those things that are important to you. That might be, it might, if you answer that question... What do you use to comfort yourself with when things get bad or difficult? This is huge. What do you use to comfort yourself when things go bad or when things go difficult? You turn to drinking. Is that what you turn to? When things get bad, when things get difficult. What do I turn to? The Bible says this, the Lord is our refuge and our strength. God wants to be the one that we run to. God wants to be the one that we go to. He wants to be the one that satisfies us. He wants the one to com- be the one who comforts us. He wants to be that thing in our lives. But if you're running to this addiction, you're running to that drug, you're running to this hobby, you're running to that person, and you don't run to God, you, that might reveal an idol. What motivates you? A raise? Recognition? Success? Is that what motivates you most? It might reveal an area of idolatry. Here's a good question. What made you mad in the last month? What has made you mad in the last month? Did you get mad that there were starving children in Africa? Did you get mad that it seems like America's making some choices that veer from God? Did that make you mad? Did you get mad because somebody cut you off in the parking lot? Drove in front of you riding down the street. Your team didn't win. What are some things that made you mad? You see, this one might reveal the oldest idol of them all. The idol and God of me and self. And we'll talk about that one. What do I daydream about? What do you daydream about? Where does your mind go? What do you dream about? Aspirations are fine, but the real question is, why do you aspire to those things? Do you aspire to those things to bring honor and glory to God, to lift his name on high? Or do you aspire, are you motivated to those things for your own glory, for your own fame, and for your own fortune? That's the question. Aspirations are good. Why do you have those aspirations? Uh, Ask yourself, what really makes me happy? Is there things that make you happier than obeying God? Is there things that make you happier than surrendering to his will? You might reveal in that moment an area of idolatry. Whose compliments make you feel the best? Whose compliments make you feel the best? It might reveal an area, a relationship that means more to you than your relationship with God. What would others say I talk about a lot? What would others say I talk about a lot? The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What would others say I talk about a lot? Now, here's what I want you to do. You'll have an opportunity as you answer these questions in your Bible study guides on your way out here later this week. And when you answer these questions, here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I'd like you to look for themes within these answers to these questions. 
I'd like you to look for some themes that come out. Maybe things you regularly get mad about and you're regularly spending money on. And all of a sudden you notice a theme that starts to emerge. And we're going to draw out as we answer these questions. What are the things that keep coming up? They come up three, four, five, six times as you answer this question. That might begin to identify an area of idolatry. Or at least an area where you have the potential of becoming an, uh, uh, making an idol. And you say, why is that important? Because idols always crush the heart of the worshiper. My friend, you don't want to be enslaved to another master but Jesus. Some Christians mistakenly believe that if they don't label something as a God, then it is a one. And just because you don't call it a God, just because you don't call it worship, doesn't mean it isn't. So here's the theme, and we're done. This is what I want to wrap it up with. Don't, don't allow a good thing to become a God thing. What good thing? has become a a God thing. Can I ask you this question? What are you at risk? What area are you at risk of idolatry in? 